Matt Snooker to a podcast. And my guest this week is Liam Highfield. Liam. Hi, Michael. Along. Good. Tell me about your days on the PIOS, or the PIOS, I've heard it described in different ways, because that was the route in your amateur era to getting on to the professional tour. Very good players, Jack Lazowski, Kyron Wilson and a few others, but you managed to have a lot of good runs on it. Yeah, I had some quite good success in the amateur scene sort of in my late teens. I think I think our year of, um, you know, Kyron, Jack, Jamie Jones... Anthony McGill all got on the tour via that route, and I think it was the final year of the Pios. I think following that, it became Q School. We we all just came through together, and um, sometimes I think people forget how many good players there are actually my age. Um, you know, you got Kyron, Judd, Jack, um, McGill, Michael White, Jamie Jones. There was just so many, uh, and players who haven't actually made it through that. Like Michael Wasley got to a Crucible. He was our age. Beating at the Crucible, yeah. Yeah, and Adam Duffy was a really talented player. Stuart Carrington. Th- there is like sort of at least a dozen names, our kind of age, that all played to a really high level. You really couldn't have timed it better, Liam, because you came on the pro circuit 2010, just as things were really starting to take off. You know, all those PTC events, new major ranking events as well. You were 19 years of age, world at your feet. Yeah, it was uh, amazing to turn pro at such such a young age. Um, obviously, Barry Earn entered the game at the same the same year as I turned professional. So, although it, I did feel like it, it took maybe four or five years for it to really take off. Financially, the PTCs were never um, that rewarding for anybody, really. Um, you kind of had to win them or get to the final. Yeah, you, you had to really get to the latter stages with mm. so many great players that, you know, that. But, but as it's turned out, as the years have gone by, looking back at the PTCs, they were a really important part of the, the growth in snooker. It's like playing a different game, really, when you enter the pro ranks, because it's a lot more tactical. You're playing guys who've got experience at that level over a very long time. So a lot of guys who've been very strong amateurs struggle to get to grips with the different way of playing on the pro circuit. Was that how it was for you to any extent? Yeah, I was I was really always sort of all out attack when I was young. Um, obviously, always had a really good long game ever since I was a junior, so that I kind of built my game around that and, and maybe that led to me maybe tactically and um, that side of the game I was never as good at when I was young because it, I just didn't play enough safety to get any good at it really um, and yeah over the, over the years I think I've kept my long game but but tactically I've improved and sort of yeah I, I suppose it takes a good few beatings off experience like players the older players who maybe when you come on as a pro you don't really think they're that good but then you play them and you think you go away and it's like, well, I've got I've got quite a bit of work to do here. Your early years on the pro circuit can be difficult enough for all the reasons you've just outlined there. Made so much tougher for you by the fact that you had some fairly significant illness problems. Yeah, I remember um, being about twenty three. I got diagnosed. I always I was always quite ill in my early years as a pro. Um, I was never that open about it back then. I never really knew what was up. Um, I used to get very fatigued, very tired, and the travelling with the PTCs used to really take it out of me. I'd come back from the events and spend a week in bed after that, and I could never understand why. I just thought maybe, maybe, maybe it's just the stress of the tour sort of thing. But it, but it wasn't. It, it, it come about when I was about twenty three, twenty four. I got diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Spent quite a long time over the years in in the hospital. Lost a lot of weight and stuff like that. But yeah, now I've got some answers with my health. It seemed as if. I've got over the Crohn's kind of thing and and obviously gone on to be a much better player with it than I was sort of not knowing. 
Is it something that can be cured over time, or do you just try to keep it at bay? No, I'm I'm, I'm on a medication that I go in every eight weeks uh, and have through a like IV drip sort of in a hospital. Um, that keeps it keeps my immune system stop attacking itself with the Crohn's because it's like autoimmune disease. So as long as I go in that, I try and stay healthy, try and run, try and eat healthy. I still try and enjoy myself because, you know, the stress is a snooker can kind of, you need a bit of release. So from time to time I, I, I go out and have a, have a party and whatever, like, like everyone else sort of does. But I know that it's there for life. Um, it doesn't really, day to day, I don't think about it now. But, you know, it is something always, in, I suppose, in the, in the back of your mind that um, it makes you appreciate the days, I think. Crohn's. Yeah, and Crohn's can affect you in all sorts of different ways, can't it? Because, mm-hmm. as you say, it affects your immune system. So you get all kinds of other illnesses as a result of it. Yeah, um, obviously, yeah, autoimmune can sort of... Just fatigue is the main one with me that I kind of struggle with uh, tiredness. If I get a little bit run down, I'll get a lot more colds and pick up, you know, little other things. But generally, I'm quite well, and I think that's down to running. Uh, over the years, I've always kept myself fit, gone to the gym, and and I'm vegetarian so and that seemed to have helped over the last couple of years um sort of my diet has improved and, I, and as a result of that i think i'm less tired and the crohn's has less impact on my general well-being did you start running because of the crohn's limb or was it something you'd always done no no i always i always ran um always ran across countries at school i always remember getting up early and going as a school kid running down the running a couple of miles every day in the mornings so it's just something that that i had in my life and then I really kind of took it up and um, uh, maybe about tw- 25 years old, I really took it up and started to race locally and got quite good in sort of Staffordshire being a local runner sort of thing. I, I managed to run half marathons in sort of one hour 27. under eight. Uh, I was at about 18 minutes for a 5K. So, yeah, uh, last couple of years I've not done as much, but hopefully I can get back to that. I've heard you're the best runner on the tour there are a number of pros who run Ronnie O'Sullivan of course called mm. one of his books running yeah. so that's how much into it he is but I've heard you're the best and those times suggest that's probably true maybe uh, Ronnie's got a really good uh, 10k time of I think it's about 35 minutes which is really fast um, maybe half marathon I'm probably the best uh, I think I think yeah I've never seen anybody post sort of 125 half marathon so Maybe over that distance, I'm the best. So the big question, yes. The the big question then is, do you go for the marathon itself? And I think that's something you have in mind for the next few years. It's definitely in in my mind. um, But the difference between a half marathon and a marathon is not just obviously thirty miles. Thirty miles. It is like so much more dedication and so much more training. And you have to be. I, I think someone who. You can kind of be half dedicated to running and run a half marathon, you, but you've got to be like really on it to run marathons. At a, at a time of anything under like three and a half hours, you've got to be a dedicated runner and out five, six times a week to post them times. So maybe in the future, uh, if snooker has a bit of a lighter spell and not as many tournaments, I will do that. Do you have a particular marathon in mind that you'd like to experience? Um, maybe Liverpool because I sort of love that city. I go if I have a night out or a day out drinking sort of thing. I go around Liverpool and the people. I think that would be a kind of well attended marathon. It's not too far for me either. So I think they call it the Liverpool Rock and Roll Marathon. Oh, weirdly, okay. so yeah. uh, it's just a bit of a scene. I'd quite like to sightsee as well as run. If there's something to look at, obviously times can get a bit 
you know, you're out there for three and a half hours, so if there's things to look at and make it a bit easier, I think. Well, if you do take part in that, leave the drinking till after the marathon on that <laughs> yeah. occasion, probably best. <laughs> so let's talk about some of the early impacts you made. One victory that stands out in my mind is when you beat Mark Selby in the English Open when he was reigning world champion. And the thing about it is you didn't pummel him with big breaks. You actually took him on tactically and out-dueled him. Very impressive against him. Yeah, something that I think a few people didn't, didn't notice about kind of my early games with Selby was I just decided to... I got a good couple of victories over him early part of my career, but when I played him, I just decided to be really patient, and it wasn't and it wasn't my style of game. But I thought if I outpatient him in every other department, maybe I have a chance. So sort of that was my idea going into it. Since then, Selby's battered me a few times. I think I think Selby's become a much better player, being a little bit quicker as well. So he kind of has maybe that that's obviously improved him game. He's an all time great, but. Uh, it was just a, a little thing early on in my career. I just decided to be as patient as he was and got a good couple of wins over him. Yeah, that was one of your best wins. Your best ever run in a ranking event came about a year after that, the Indian Open, when you got to the quarterfinals. And you're up against John Higgins, so obviously that's always going to be a big ask. He beat you 4-0, but as I recall, the first couple of frames were pretty close and he just sort of got away from you after that. Yeah, such a, a short match for, a, obviously, a quarterfinals of a ranking event. Um so yeah, lose lose two frames to to John Higgins early on, then chances are you're going to come off second best. But yeah, I remember yeah early part of that match there was a, there was a chance to at least be one each, maybe two nil up. So you know that one just got away. But interestingly, going to India, I didn't play for about two weeks before. I have had a a, ne- a neck and back problem that I've had ever since around that time of my vertebrae being kind of worn away oh, uh, no one's kind of I've never really spoke out really about it but that's something that came came upon that time and it was strange I, I kind of went to India for a holiday really even though the snooker was going on but yeah I managed to win a few matches there and it was my best running ranking event which hopefully can be improved on in the next couple of years Has that injury problem stayed with you? Affected you since then? Yeah absolutely yeah um, I've got I think it's like C five and six of the, the vertebrae, the discs are worn away. Um, I know there's a few players on tour, Anthony Hampton's got pretty much the same thing. Mm. Um, but yeah, just something that just don't overplay. It's not it's not painful at all times playing snooker. It kind of comes and goes, but just don't overplay in practice, I, I find. Just, just a bit each day, keep it going. And um, performance level doesn't drop because of that. I think as long as you're playing a good few hours, I'm comfy. Well, we mentioned India there. You've had four other appearances in the last 16 of ranking events. Three of them you only lost in a decider, so there's been a few very near misses there. Perhaps the most memorable, UK Championship. You mm. played Mark Williams and so nearly got through to the quarterfinals. What do you remember about that? 6-5 it finished to Mark. Yeah, I remember. Um, obviously a great run here uh, in York, and I remember just being way too attacking, um, back then at around sort of 25 years old if I'd have just maybe played a few more safety shots I'd have definitely won that match I, I had looking back I had Mark on the ropes that night but I was young and maybe a little bit naive and didn't actually uh, fully appreciate um, what it meant to be in the last 16 of the UK UK Championship really I just thought that I was young and I thought the years ahead there would be loads 
loads and loads more of this and didn't didn't take it in at all. The following season, you got to the Crucible for the first time and oh. uh, you beat Daniel Wells in the final qualifying round. Quite comfortably, actually. You'd played well throughout qualifying. You'd had four centuries across the qualifying competition. So what's that like then when that finally happens and you know you're going to be playing at the Crucible? Yeah, it'd been a... I'd, I'd always uh, turned up to the qualifiers uh, in great shape for the World Championships and I, I do every year and I've seemed to have... I think I've only ever lost one first round match in, in 12 years of being on tour in the World Championships. In the qualifiers, yeah, in, yeah. in the qualifiers. Yeah. Um, so yeah, get, I remember the last round against Daniel, it was like 5-4 early on. And um, it, it would have been both our, whoever won was the first time at the Crucible. It's a good chance for both of us. But in the evening, I remember playing really solid and my long game was exceptionally good. And I, I think Daniel, when we spoke afterwards, sort of, he was like, you just, you just can't play safe against that standard of long game. So it was a, it was a good night and a really, a really nice, you know, moment to qualify for the Crucible, family to come down and watch, and uh, we had a good meal that night. It was, it was really good. And the thing is, with the way it works nowadays, once you've qualified, you only have to wait a few days to actually go to the Crucible and play. And you took on Mark Allen. You stayed with him actually for a lot of the match. You were only six four down, but then he kind of moved up a gear. Yep, I remember. It's six four. I'd I took a long green on, potted it, and missed a brown from under the rail. And I felt like I was just just turning that match around a little bit then, and it and I dropped um, obviously seven four behind from then. Uh, Mark played amazing in that match. I actually thought he would have gone much further in the World Championship. Maybe that year he played great stuff. Um, interestingly, Mark was working with Chris Emery at the time and. Roles of obviously I've started to work with Chris the last six months, so um, yeah, I was surprised that he didn't didn't stay with Chris and he looked in really good form that year. I don't know how Chris manages to find the time. He's working with so uh, many players. Yeah, in that match, I suppose if you're not going to win on your debut with the Crucible, the one thing you'd love to do is make a century in your first match. You had 99 twice yeah, in the course um, of it. Second frame, I think I made 99, which really settled me down. Um, and yeah, somewhere later on in the match, I made another 99. Obviously disappointed to not make a century on your debut, but such an achievement getting there. And it was just a... I always look back really fondly of um, qualifying and, and walking down them stairs for the first time. I don't think you, you'll, you'll ever replace that, um, you know, going back there, whether I get there five, six, seven times, whatever. I don't think you can replace the fir- very first time that you walk down at the Crucible. You don't get easy draws at the Crucible, do you, Liam? Because you went back there last season and you got Judd in yeah. the first round and Judd did what Judd does and just played so well yeah he played he played really well um, whether it was by his own standards he played well but he's always playing um, to a very high level his worst is not is is, is obviously good enough most of the times um, yeah early on I let that match slip 3-0 down early on in the match but he couldn't could never get back or, or compete really I just after about when he got to about six or seven, it was just about enjoying it, and I did manage to make a, I think a high you, century. In a, and you did, you got your century. It was actually in the last frame that you won. You got a one three right. eight, so you managed to tick it off this time. Yeah, so it was a nice little. Yeah, it was just a tick box. It was just about enjoying them final frames, being out there on the biggest stage, playing the world's best. Yep. Yeah, so 
there's, there's just no complaints over that match. I just enjoyed it thoroughly. I guess you've obviously enjoyed, as it seems, your experiences playing at the Crucible. It would be so much better, though, once you get that first win there under your belt. So that must be a big target now for the next few years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, sort of at the age I'm at, sort of the next next few years are going to be massive for me where, where my career ends up. And I've got to Crucible a couple of times now, so... So moving forward, it will just be all about winning. Um, it won't be about walking down the crucible for the first time or anything like that. It will just be trying my best out there and just just like any other match, really. Now, we come to the quickfire round, which is where I just throw a few topics at you. Bit of fun, you just say whatever comes into your head. Favourite movie? Quadrophenia. That's very old school, isn't it? I know, I liked it with the, the mods and the rockers and Brighton. Yeah. I actually went down to Brighton a- uh, maybe about a year or so to see all the scenes of Quadrophenia it's not my favourite film best place to go for a run uh, a little place in it's actually in Cheshire but the border of Staffordshire called Malcott is where I grew up um, there's like a little make-believe castle up there it's weird but um, the sights are amazing so Malcott's the one for that your favourite song oh This Town by Andy Gower which is the tune that I come out to He's a local musician, one of my best mates. Um, yes, that's that's just my go-to tune. A few players you'd choose to go on a night out with? Uh, Matthew Stevens, Rob Milkins. That's about it. That yeah. sounds like with those two, you'd have a great night anyway. You don't need <laughs> that is a great night, else. yeah. And one thing you'd change about life on the circus? More practice tables. And now that is that. A very good performance from Liam Highfield. Congratulations to him. He beat Stuart Bingham in the previous round. That was a feather in his cap. This one even more so. The world champion has been vanquished. It was a mixture of good breaks, 57, 71 and 78 from Highfield, but also he slugged it out in the tactical frames. And so Mark Selby will not be the Gdynia Open champion. He's been beaten in the last 32. The final result here, Liam Highfield delighted. What's your overall assessment then as we move on, Liam? You're now in your 12th season. How do you feel it's gone? Do you feel you've lived up to your ability or do you think there's a lot more to come from you? No, I don't think um, my career has lived up to my expectations from being a late teen, early 20s. But I've learned a lot over them 10 years, obviously now 30. And it's been proven that... um, Older players, you're lasting a lot longer in snooker these days. So maybe 30 to 40 is is the prime of snooker rather than um, as was sort of seen before of 20 to 30. So I think I've got a lot more to give and hopefully I can get some. I just just want the big occasions and, and that sort of arena, one table situations just to try and get to them things later stages. I suppose once you start doing it... It becomes a virtuous circle, doesn't it? Because you become more comfortable with it, you build up confidence, and you start doing it more often. Yeah, every, everything's a habit. So, um, you know, it's like it's like going to maybe maybe to them players who get to the one table so much. Maybe it just feels like going to like me going to a qualifier. It's just just mm. another day, another game of snooker. Um, but yeah, I'll be trying my absolute best for the next few years to to just. Uh, get as high as I can up the rankings and as far as I can in tournaments. Does there come a point where you start to think about doing something else? I'm not saying you're anywhere near that at the moment, but if you were to arrive in middle age and you felt that you'd done all you could, would you look at doing something else? Or are you committed to just playing for as long as possible? I'm committed to playing as long as possible. I also do think you can 
you can do other things and be a successful snooker player. I'm not one of them that thinks you need to be all out snooker. Um, I think it can complement a balance of everything. It can complement other areas of your life. Um, clothing would be a great one that I'd love to get into. I don't know. I have no avenues of getting into well, it. What do you mean clothing? Like running just a, like yeah, a clothes shop or yeah, or just or designing or something. Yeah, uh, some kind of fashiony type thing. Um, so that's obviously a big thing with you then. You're into yeah, I like, I like clothes and stuff like that. Um, obviously, running's just a hobby; it would never pay. Um, so, mm. but that's something I love to keep in my life. Anything fitness-wise, I've always been interested in. Maybe you could be involved in being a fitness instructor yeah. outside of it. Anything like that. Um, who knows what the future kind of holds? But for now, snooker's the the kind of main thing in my life. Um, yeah, so we'll concentrate on that for definitely the next few years. And it's important to play to your strengths. So what are your strengths, Liam? What do you think you stand out in as a snooker player? I think my long game over the years has been um, probably one of the best sort of on tour. So, so that is something that gets me much more chances than maybe some other players. Uh, heavy scoring, I've always been a pretty heavy scorer from, from a young age. Um Tactically, maybe I lack a little bit, but I think I've grown in that area over the last sort of five years. And you managed to outlast Selby in that match, so clearly you're well capable of it from a tactical point of view. Yeah, it's something that uh, I never enjoyed um, until I worked with. Uh, it was actually a, a guy locally, um, unfortunately passed away last year, but this guy called David Dix. Um, oh, yeah, I knew him, yeah. Yeah. Um, Very nice he, old man. He taught me. Sort of, he did teach me the art of break building and con- uh, like cue ball control, but he taught me the safety. Um, and I, I joined Dave from when I was about 24, 25. My game come on amazingly over the next couple of years. I just became a, a proper snooker player, I felt, compared to what I was in my early 20s. So I will always be grateful and uh, know him a lot in my career. Who do you work with in terms of other players for practice? or Are you more of a solo man? Yeah, I've never been a massive practicer with other pros. I've never felt that um, I get loads out of playing professionals in practice. So it's never been something that I've I've done consistently. I do occasionally have a game with a few other pros. I play on my own quite a lot, but I also play um, just just really good amateurs. And there's a couple of really good amateurs in the club who are trying to turn professional. Uh, actually, one of them was a professional the last couple of seasons, Brandon Sargent. Oh yeah. So he's in there daily. Um, Jensen Kendry is a is a good sort of young amateur. He's about twenty years old. So I like to play them. Um, and also, I, I find that it doesn't fill my day up completely. I can have four or five hours of them. I've got the gym. I've, I can go home for food. I'm not out travelling every day mm. like like you would be to play over professionals. How good can you be? Uh, who knows? But um, I suppose the next five years will kind of kind of tell. Um, I do believe that I can win tournaments already uh, if I get my full potential and game out there in, in the biggest of arenas. But who knows how I, how I will sort of react um, to being in that situation? All the preparations for that, but eventually it just comes down to the the crucial moments and matches. I know a few players I've spoken to were particularly inspired by what Jordan Brown did. Not only winning a big tournament like that, but beating such good players to do it. And Ronnie O'Sullivan, obviously, in the final, and he'd beaten Selby along the way. So a lot of players seem to have taken heart from that story. Are you one of those? Absolutely. It just proves that it's possible to, to have a draw like Jordan Brown does and still win a tournament. You haven't got a, the, the draw doesn't need to open up for you like, like a lot of people will 
believe to win a tournament. Maybe they want an easy route to something great, and that that's Jordan proved that week that that doesn't need to be the case. You just need to believe and and play good snooker out there in the in the biggest moments. Anything can happen if you if you just believe that it that it can. If there's that inner belief that Jordan showed that week that you really can upset anybody. What would be more of a dream for you, Liam, to become a consistently good player, getting to last 16s, quarterfinals all the time, or maybe not doing that, but having that one big moment and actually having that one moment in your career where you're the man left holding the trophy at the end of the week? I would much rather to to have that week of um, lifting a trophy. Uh, I feel like already in the game, I've kind of I've been to all the venues, I've seen all the players, I've played in most of the rounds apart from the massive tournaments in the semis and the finals. So. It's all about just getting that one ranking event or or big events under your belt and and going from there and whatever happens. You, I think I think Jordan, for instance, will always f- forever now will look back on his career with a, everything was worth it. It was a fun memory and and I think that's what it's about is the, is the, is the precious memories you have in snooker. And what do you need to change to achieve those goals, Liam? Do you feel that you're on the right path and if you keep going there and keep improving? that that can get you there or is there something you feel you need to improve on something you need to change in your game that might enable you to make that step up I think my game's in the place that that I could do um, could win that tournament or, or get that run but I can only know when when the time comes that um, mentally that I can stand up to it I believe that I can but it's just important I think for me to stay calm and remain as if I'm just practicing down the club no matter what the situation it's really hard to do but that is the the only thing I think in my game that I need to tick that box that I can just stay calm at no matter what the situation is. And going right back to the start, Liam, as we finish, you mentioned some of the guys you grew up with and a number of them have become top players and have won tournaments. So that must give you a bit of belief as well. Absolutely. The thing, uh, Judd was always a, a good gap straight ahead of of the guys that we come up through. So, so Judd, you can kind of take out of um, the box of us. He's just amazing, but... Um, for instance, like Kyron Wilson doing well, probably me and me, Jack, Anthony McGill, Michael White were were all above him as a junior. Um, he's he's gone on to prove that, uh, you know, maybe maybe that hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work as hard, sort of thing. So, uh, I think maybe he'll in, he inspired my generation that will will maybe be top players for a, for a good few years. Okay. Well, listen, it's been a really interesting chat with you, Liam, and we wish you all the best for the rest of the season and the rest of your career. Thanks so much for joining us on the World Snooker Tour podcast. Thanks very much. Next time on the World Snooker Tour podcast, I'll be joined by one of the game's great talkers, Dominic Dale. Winner of a big title on the BBC early in his career, he'll be explaining why things didn't quite kick on from there. I should have had the, the, the champion's attitude. Right, I've won the first one, I want to win the next one now. But it wasn't like, I was completely the opposite. I was very insular. I became an extrovert. I wasn't at the time, far from it. And um, I was very self-conscious of myself as a person and as a player. And when I played television matches, I wasn't something demophobic. I, you know, I'm not sort of afraid of uh, the cameras and the audience watching me but I didn't feel secure in that environment because I hadn't had enough experience of it now it can be more the opposite I'd love to go out there in front of a massive audience and TV cameras I love that now but that wasn't the case back then so that's coming up next week on the World Snooker Tour podcast until then thanks so much for listening and goodbye <laughs>